Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up to the Word. I am your host and Bible teacher, Pastor Jeff Barksdale from Life Coach Church. We are glad you're here with us, and I am so sorry that this is late. This is Saturday morning, so we have Saturday's edition of Friday of New Testament Friday. So uh, uh, busy, busy two weeks, and uh, had lots of things to button up and finish up yesterday. And we, my son, needed some help, and so we got all those things done. And here we are, and I'm wearing my Life Coast shirt. So. Um, Glad you're here with us. Uh, This is episode number 60. Yeah, our 60th episode, technically 62. We have a bonus and an introduction, but 60 episodes of Wake Up to the Word. Yes, thank you, studio audience. Uh, Almost nearly 1,500 plays of Wake Up to the Word, and we're being heard in seven countries at my last check, and uh, thank you all so much for all those who listen, all those who come in. We are so glad to be teaching and sharing our thoughts and observations with you and uh, looking you in the eye through the camera, right, Nancy? That's what we want to do. We want to look at you more, so... uh, (laughs) Thank you for all of that, and uh, we um, also want to let you know we're coming to you from the bowels of the Barksdale Communication Complex. We thank you for uh, paying it, uh, for dealing with all uh, my little foibles, and my, uh, I I like to keep, I I like to have fun, and uh, I don't think teaching the Bible needs to be separate from fun, so... We had a question this week, uh, came from Jeff, uh, my friend Jeff, not, not me, but my friend Jeff, this is not really, I'm not really saying that, you know, I gave the question. No, really, my friend Jeff gave the question. Um, I never addressed, as we talked about the um, rich young ruler, I never addressed <clears throat> the camel through the eye of the needle. I thought I had when it first came up, but I guess I did not. So, um I'm going to address that question right now. And we are back, and I will cut that part out. You won't even know it's there, so uh, I don't know why I'm telling you. All right, so the the eye of the needle. Uh, As he comes to the rich man. I'm really rich. Yeah, yeah, the rich man, he he comes there, and and you you know the account. It's, uh, It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. Um, the one we we dealt with here is in uh, in uh, Luke, and uh, he you know the story. He comes to him. What must I do um, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you know, uh, you know, obey the commandments. He go through all the commandments, and then he says, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, "How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God." And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them. Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So, you know the account. Uh, we've, we've, uh, we've read it, but we didn't really discuss it, so... 
Uh, Jeff's question is great. Before I get into the, the text, uh, our normal text for New Testament Friday, um, the, 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 <clears throat> there's, been, there's been several answers to this. One of them was there was a gate called the Eye of the Needle. And a camel had to go through it. It was a small gate. It was The gate is built for a man, but sometimes people would come from that part uh, of the wall, uh, that that side of Jerusalem, and they would um, want to bring that camel through, and they have to take everything off the camel, and the camel would have to get on its knees and walk through because the, the gate was only man's size. Um, uh, really great analogy that you, you know you got to take off all of you. You have to humble yourself, be penitent, uh, humble yourself, and uh, to walk through to get into the kingdom. So uh, great picture, very cool. Problem with that is that in Jesus' time, uh, that gate did not exist. It uh, it wasn't there. They wouldn't know what he was talking about. They wouldn't have put two and two together. Um, and some scholars say it never existed, but uh, most of what I've read said it has existed, um, It, but not in that era. It came way, way later when it was called the Eye of the Needle. Um, but, <clears throat> so, the other possibility, uh, I learned this uh, during some of the linguistic things that I did, um, in Arabic, the word for rope, uh, camelion, and the word for camel, uh, camelon, is very, very similar and only different by one letter and some people think it's a textual variant and it was miswritten out wrong and meant to say a rope it's easy to put a rope through the eye of a needle which would be possible you'd have to break the rope down to its singular uh, lines and that again makes a lot of sense uh, in the context of that, that it's possible if you break it down to its bare uh, starting points and, and then it can go through. Uh, the only issue with that is um, <clears throat> uh, linguistically, he says the same thing in three different, uh, there's three different accounts, three different people recorded it as camel. And, and uh, for a textual variant to happen, uh, when we, we, we understand that they didn't copy each other's stories, they uh, recounted each other's stories or got the account, um, particularly John was an eyewitness and uh, Mark and Luke were recounters, uh, gatherers of information. Um, so... They didn't necessarily copy the information, but they they got their they had their own sources for the information. So that is very unusual that that would occur. That same textual variant in three different books written at different times with different sources. So um, I, I I discount that on that premise. Uh, and so <clears throat> what I think is is really happening here, and I do have a great article written by a, a Wendy McMahon that is in, uh, I put it in, uh, I will put it in uh, right after I record this episode, into Jeff's stack of stuff. She goes through many of these things, <clears throat> but really, the gist of what Jesus is saying is that wealth really makes it difficult for a person to follow Jesus. that That's the bottom line of what's being said, regardless of the analogy. <clears throat> and no matter what you think of that statement, um, 
the truth is, is that on your own, you can't get to the kingdom of God. And if you recount the the conversation that the rich man had with, with Jesus, he is obviously clinging to his wealth. And because he goes through the commandments, he thinks he's doing really good, thinks he's keeping all the commandments. And then he asks him, you know, sell all your possessions and come follow me. <clears throat> and that's the thing he couldn't do. So, uh, you know, the, the truth is, if if uh, you live here in America and you make more than $50,000 a year, um, you're in the top 1% of the wealthy in the world. And so you and I are the camel. Sorry, that's it. Most of the people listening to this are camels in Jesus' analogy. And so the truth is, it is impossible for us to inherit the kingdom of God on our own. We cannot fit through that eye. But with God, all things are possible. With God, we can have a revelation of Jesus Christ. With God, we can surrender and repent. With God, we can follow him. Uh, if we, uh, and, 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 and that's just the truth. It all starts with God. And so when God calls you, uh, you may think to yourself, it's impossible. I can't possibly follow Jesus. I, I have to give up too much. Don't worry about what you can give up. Worry about what you can give. And that I mean of yourself in surrendering to Jesus Christ. Let him take care of what you're going to give up because it's not going to feel like giving up at all. Okay? So that's my answer to that question. Thank you, Jeff, for the question. And uh, you can go to Jeff's stack of stuff. And, uh, oh, sorry, Jeff's stack of stuff. And you can um, uh, you can see it. Look for that on the website, wakeuptotheword.org. Look for that guy. It's Jeff's stack of stuff. And you can, uh, you can uh, uh, click and find that front on episode 60. There you go. All right, let's get into the reading. Um, let's... Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Here we go. Uh, we are in Mark. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Mark chapter 11 and Luke 19. Okay. Uh, Mark chapter 11 is the triumphal entry. And this is where they Jesus comes riding into the, into the town. Yes, we're already there in our... Re- reading because, uh, you know, as we go chronologically, we started with uh, the Old Testament, New Testament. So the New Testament chronology is here, and then we're going to get into the books of the Bible because they were all written, the other books, the epistles, they're all written after these events. So we got to go through Jesus' life first, and then we'll get into the uh, the epistles and the letters and all of those things. So <clears throat> so here we go. They, Jesus comes in... Uh, from from Bethany at the Mount of Olives, and uh, he, he sent two of his disciples ahead to go get the colt. This is interesting because he tells them that if somebody asks, tell them that the Lord needs it, and somebody asks. So you know these little things, these little understandings, the knowledge, the information, the Spirit is giving Jesus as he walks on this earth, letting be, making him aware of the things that are to occur. You would think the disciples 
And I know that they believed Jesus was Messiah, but all of these little things that are through Scripture, there's so many of these little tiny little uh, nodes of information that Jesus would give that would just should must have blown their minds. I just can't even imagine it. And and so uh, they come and get the colt. Jesus rides in as predicted from the Old Testament. That's one of those hyperlinks from old to new uh and the people yelled and those who went before him those who followed were shouting hosanna blessed is the lord who come in the name of the lord hoshana hoshana remember in hebrew instead of hosanna hosanna and so uh blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the coming king of our father david hosanna in the highest and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And then he curses the fig tree as he goes by and cleanses the temple. And uh, people wonder about this one because uh, there's different accounts of it. And uh, some people say there's actually more than one time that Jesus did this. But he definitely did this. Uh, in the temple after the triumphal entry. And they came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, "It is, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowds, all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So Jesus comes in and cleanses the temple. What these what these people were doing was they were cheating the people. They were robbing from the people. Now, it, it, it wasn't a problem for them to be selling uh, uh, the pigeons and the doves and, and, and the birds and the, the lambs to sacrifice. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that they were using uh, uh, rigged scales and overcharging for for the, the sacrificial animals. And they were doing it inside. They were doing it within the, the temple grounds that were supposed to be holy. So um, they have an outside area that that where that could be done, a marketplace type of area. They could have done that there. So, uh, but they were doing it on the, on the inside. And, and I don't know if it was a place where they felt safe, where they could cheat and no one would, no one would, no one would be the wiser. But Jesus uh, took care of them. So when uh, Jesus saw the fig tree, I'm going to talk about this one in the next chapter, the uh, the Luke one. Um, uh, I'm going to talk about that in, in uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm confusing it with another section. So um, lessons of the fig tree. So first he curses the fig tree. And then as he's after the temple, uh, lessons from the withered fig tree. So as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree uh, had withered all the way to the root. And Peter remembered that Jesus had cursed it. And he said, you know, um, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whatever you say, 
to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says has come to pass, it will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And most people stop reading right there. And that is the problem because people look at prayer as their golden ticket, as their ATM. But what does the next verse say? And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. This links right back to the Lord's Prayer. And if you didn't hear my my sermon on that, my message on that a few weeks back, go back and and listen to that on lifecoast.org. And... uh, because it talks about that. And, and here's what I want to say. When Jesus is doing the Lord's, Lord's Prayer, he's teaching them how to pray. And he says, uh, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It, it's essentially is forgive, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And, and one thing, you know, I talked about Jesus speaking, amazing gift of speaking to both the lost and the saved, because we understand that our forgiveness is not conditional when we're saved. Jesus forgives us. We are we are saved. We have eternal eternal life. So what does this verse mean? This verse, um, this verse, and that verse uh, of the Lord's Prayer is talking to both the saved and the unsaved. Okay, if you are holding things against people, if you if you're harboring that sin, that bitterness in your heart. It gets in the way of your relationship with God. It hampers your prayer. Does it take away your salvation? No, it doesn't. But if you're not saved and you have this bitterness, you're praying to God, uh, he's not even listening to you. He doesn't even hear you. You're going to be judged for your salvation the same way you're judging other people because you are not, you have not been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ through your surrender. So these things are true and they're not, separate from the believer and the unbeliever. God still calls us to forgive, regardless of where we stand. If we, This is the very gospel at work being demonstrated in the lives of believers, and also it's demonstrated in the lives of unbelievers and when they forgive. That's just the bottom line. So we need to understand that concept, especially as believers. You want prayer to be answered? You want God to respond to your prayers? Have you forgiven people? Are you holding bitterness in your heart? The authority of Jesus is challenged. That that happened with Jesus everywhere he went, but Jesus was the master of answering a question with a question. They asked him, what authority do you do, you, uh, do all these things? And he said, well, you answer my question and I'll answer yours. He says, what was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they realized it was a setup because they had condemned John. And they said, well, if you knew it was from heaven, he's going to say to us, then why didn't you believe him? And if it's, but if they say it's from man, then they were afraid of the people because the people knew John was a prophet. So here's the thing. Bold underline I put, they were afraid of the people. And isn't that even where we are sometimes, afraid of the people? We, we, we don't step into telling the truth about who we are in Christ and who Jesus is 
and sharing the gospel because we're afraid of people. We're afraid of a response. And we need so desperately to get over that. We need to just, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. People are going to respond or they're not going to respond. And we need to enter into that. Okay, here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 19. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked into the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. A children's song I learned in vacation Bible school that I remember to this day. I would have sung the tune for you, but I'm a little froggy in the throat. So I did it as a poem. <clears throat> but that's basically the story. And uh, what I love is the, the ending of it. Jesus says, uh, as, as Zacchaeus says, he's going to give all, all the money back because he was a tax collector, a sinner, as the, as the apostles looked at him. <clears throat> And uh, he's going to give his money back. And if he cheated anyone, he's going to give him even fourfold, four times back. And uh, then uh, God saw that changed heart and responded. Jesus saw that changed heart and he responded this way. Salvation has come to this house since, he is, since also he is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to seek and save the lost? The parable of the ten minas is next. And this is similar to some of the other parables that we had. But one thing I like about this one is the connectivity to the millennial kingdom. <clears throat> so this parable is about, um, I'll just do the setup for it. Uh, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear. They supposed, they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So Jesus is telling him right now, <clears throat> they were expecting the kingdom of God to happen right there, right then. But it, it, Jesus was going to leave and come back. This is exactly what he's saying right here. This parable depicts that leaving and returning, okay? So, um, calling his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegate after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So uh, essentially saying the people didn't want him as king. Okay, we can look at that any way we want, and, but it really just points to the fact that most people don't want Jesus to be the king of their life. They don't want to be in the kingdom of God. They, most people don't want that, okay? And so... Uh, Sad but true. So, so, but Jesus has sent a delegate in there to engage and do business with those people who don't want this man as king. So the first came is saying, uh, "Lord, the minus the ten minus uh, um, 
what they had gained in business. He asked them about this. The first came before him saying, Lord, your miners, your mina has made 10 miners more. And he said to him, well done, good and good servant, good and faithful servant. And most, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And so, um, this, this, uh, this, uh, comment uh this uh, commentary because you have been faithful with a little you can be trusted with much is kind of from this parable and others but uh and the next one had five and five cities and then there was one who came and didn't do anything and uh this is the one he got upset at and he says i contemn you with your own words so <clears throat> uh at the end of this in 26 of chapter 19 it says uh I tell you that everyone who has more will be everyone who has more will be given but the one who has not even what has been given will be taken but as for the enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them bring them here and slaughter them before me this seems like so harsh what but here's here's the deal um in 22 he says to him I will condemn you with your own words you wicked servant so that's the deal the one who didn't do anything wasn't really a believer he didn't do anything he was he was talking as if he was part of god's people but the the rich man's people but he wasn't and so he's going to condemn him with his own words that is exactly what we just talked about in the prayer the, the and the lord's prayer if you do not trust in jesus for your salvation you will be condemned with your own words. Your unforgiveness will be what condemns you. <clears throat> how you think salvation occurs, how you think eternal life happens, if you believe it's because you're good, you will be condemned with your own words. Your goodness will be judged against God's perfection. Are you understanding what these parables are saying? They're not there for to, to make God seem mean or nasty or ugly. What it's there saying is that God is letting you make your own decisions and letting you decide for yourself how you want to be judged. Jesus has made a way. We can surrender to him, surrender our hearts to him and, and his life, and our life to him, <clears throat> and his blood covers our sins, and God the Father sees us as perfect, sinless. Or we can trust in our own goodness to when we get before God, and then he's going to judge and condemn us with our own words, with our own standard, okay? He's giving them, the people who, who did not want to be ruled by a king, bring them before me and we'll slaughter him here. He's giving them exactly what they wanted. God's not leaving. God's not going anywhere. God is eternal. God's kingdom will reign. If you do not want to live in God's kingdom, if you do not want to walk with God and live in eternity with God, he is going to give you exactly what you want. And you say, how can God send people to hell? He does not send people to hell. He gives people what they want. They want to be without God. And that is exactly what is going to happen. We have the triumphal entry that comes next, which we just talked about. Hosanna. Uh, and then Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> he sees Jerusalem. He, he Jesus weeps. Uh, he wept over it. 
And and why did it happen? Because he says uh, in verse 44, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is one of those things that Jesus knows all things actual and possible. And that is a very interesting concept. And it kind of hurts your brain. Um... Jesus' visit, Jesus' triumphal entry was a true offer to be the king, to set up and reign and rule, an actual, genuine offer. And he was rejected. And so uh, he knows because of that rejection, which he did know was going to happen, because of that rejection, Jerusalem eventually would be sacked completely not leaving one stone on there. And so he made him sad because this was essentially the last time he was going to see the city in the context of humanity. And he loved the city. He loved Jerusalem. He was a Jew. He loved Jerusalem. And so then it goes another, uh, uh, another uh, shorter version of him cleansing the temple. Um, and one thing we have to realize is why did Jesus go to the temple? And we'll talk more about this later, but I'll give you the, 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 pre, the pre-version. Every lamb that came to be sacrificed had to be approved, had to be certified faultless, okay? That's very important. Jesus went right to the temple after the triumphal entry, which is all happening at the same time the lambs are coming in during Passover to be inspected and certified faultless, okay? Certified faultless. That's important. That's why Jesus went to the temple. But what he found in the temple was crooks and robbers and no one there who was worthy to certify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and most importantly, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's all we got for you. We're so glad you joined us on Saturday's edition of Wake Up to the Word. Saturday's edition of Friday's Wake Up New Testament Friday. I almost got that right. What a week I've had. Love you guys. Hope to see you Sunday. See you real soon.